Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins. I'm super happy to be here with Brett F., who is the co-host of Rule of Law Radio. And I see there's already a few people in the chat, and I'm also going to get Rockfin going before I introduce Brett. And there we go. It is live. So let me share a couple of links with you guys while people are still coming on. This is the Rockfin link. It's there in the chat. And if you're able to help me share this stream out, that would also be useful. I'm definitely getting shadow banned like crazy. Uh, and welcome, Brett. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be uh, talking with you today. Nice, nice. And it, does it feel nice to not be the uh, the, the host of a, of a show? Is it more relaxing for you? <laughs> well, I don't know. They're both pretty relaxed, actually. We never know, uh, if you're referring to the, the rule of law radio, we never really know who's going to call in and what kind of problems they're going to have. So uh, it's not the same as having a guest on where you, I need to prepare to interview them or something. People just call in with whatever is issues they have. So, Yeah, I noticed that. And, and I know you like to prepare as well, which is you're, you're a good teacher. You don't let your students just kind of uh, suck their thumb in the back row. <laughs> <laughs> So that's awesome. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Brett, then he is the co-host of Rule of Law Radio with Randy Kelton. And you can hear him. What are your hours again? I know you've got, uh, is it Thursday and Friday? Yeah, Central Time. It's Thursday at 8 p.m. from 8 to 10. And then Friday evening, we do four hours. So it's from 8 until midnight Central. A little marathon there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's great. So um, if anybody's in the chat, could you please grab a link for me and then I will share that out as well. Uh, hello to Ian. I'm glad you're here. You're here. And uh, Fluttership Bear said hello. Nachiketa, welcome. Glad you guys are here. So we do have a little bit of limited time. So I think we're going to just dive right in. No doubt more people are going to be coming on, but uh, we'll let them catch up. And uh, so we're going to talk about challenging jurisdiction today. Now, I am a baby over here sucking my thumb, but I continue to feel called. And no doubt you have a similar experience, Brett, that God tells me to assist in this arena, that even though I'm not the expert and I won't be the teacher and the workshop leader, but, uh, but somehow if I can facilitate and I've got plenty of feedback that I was able to hook the right person up with the right person or the information or the right direction, then this feels like we're worth doing. So do you have that? Yeah, have wonderful. Yeah. So how about if we just, uh, if I just kind of describe some things from my perspective and what I see as the, the issues that we need to address. And then you, as, as you're hearing this, if you can identify some things that are maybe unclear or they're not as commonly understood as I might imagine people to be, um, on the same page, then I can delve into that a little deeper. Okay, that, that, sound, that sounds good. And I'm happy to ask questions as well, if that helps you just to organize your thoughts either way. Yeah. Well, let's start out with jurisdiction. And what does it mean? If we're going to challenge jurisdiction, let's start out with what is it? And in a general sense, jurisdiction is the power to hear and determine issues of law in fact law and fact involved in a case so you've got facts you've got law and some court 
has the power to hear those issues and make determinations about them. That's jurisdiction. And there are different facets or aspects of jurisdiction that we always need to be aware of in our mind. We don't have to challenge all of them, but we have to be aware of what's going on. Uh, I think of it as if you picture a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles and that little spot in the middle where they overlap is where a court is properly exercising jurisdiction. Uh, these three are, um, I don't know if you think in, in colors of them, if like red would be subject matter and green could be territorial and blue could be in personam or in rem. It's personal jurisdiction or jurisdiction over the person or pers uh, jurisdiction over the thing. So they have to be one or the other. Uh, usually it's personal. It's kind of rare. There are certain kinds of cases that uh, deal with jurisdiction over a thing. Typically it's some land. We don't know who the owner is or whatever, but it's typically going to be personal jurisdiction. So you've got these three things. Another way to look at it is a stool, a three-legged stool. Now, one of these legs can be either personal or in rem, the thing, but you can't go without that. You have to have three legs or else the stool can't stand up. You've got subject matter. Is the court supposed to be hearing this kind of case? You've got territorial. Can the court hear things that are, you know, we have a Texas court trying to hear an Oklahoma matter that wouldn't work or a Canada, uh, according to Canada, trying to hear something for California, you can't do that. So they they need to be hearing the right kind of matter, subject matter, and in the right territory. But they also need to have um, jurisdiction over the person. Or, like I said, in some ways, in some situations, you might have in rem instead of in person. But they all need to be there. And the way that jurisdiction gets activated is by due process. Otherwise, it's just prospective jurisdiction. It's potential jurisdiction. And until uh, an actual controversy comes before the court, it's just latent jurisdiction. The court does hear that kind of case you know, based on the Constitution or based on statutes. It's very well defined which courts hear which kinds of cases. So that subject matter jurisdiction is latent. Hmm. It has not been activated until someone, uh, typically it would be the plaintiff. Um, if it's a criminal case, then they don't call it the plaintiff. They'll They'll call it the state or... Uh, the Commonwealth, or I don't know, in Canada, do they say the Crown brings the case? So, no, actually, yeah. 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 The King versus. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. The King. I know. <laughs> Not intimidating at all. <laughs> <laughs> the King versus little old me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, until someone brings these primary pleadings to a court that would have that kind of jurisdiction. They have to invoke that. But before the paperwork happens, 
there is no, there cannot be jurisdiction. It cannot possibly exist. Okay. So. That's good. Can I run when something? we want. Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, did a real, some serious, really serious research and I went to Wikipedia and just uh, to see the, the, you know, sort of more commonly understood, publicly understood definition of jurisdiction. And um, mm -hmm. it said it's the, uh, the legal term for the legal authority granted to a legal entity to enact justice. And, and I thought there was a big glaring, like, by whom is it granted? <laughs> yes. Well, it can be granted in different ways. Um, if I look at the Texas jurisprudence, I will see uh, that it can be granted by the Texas Constitution. It can be granted by statute which means that the legislature, we the people via our legislators, have set up some ways that jurisdiction can be granted to a certain uh, court or judicial council. Um, it can also, in some cases, be granted by consent, consent of the parties. Now, you can't do subject matter jurisdiction that way, but you could do personal jurisdiction that way. If you're challenging subject matter jurisdiction, that's something that no amount of consent could give a court the authority to hear. Um, let's say, take a, a tax court, for example. There's no amount of consent of the parties that would be sufficient for them to hear a case of copyright infringement. That's not the subject matter that this court hears, period. Now, they both might like the judge. They both might think they're going to get a ruling in their favor, but they don't get to have it in that court, no matter what, whether they consent or not. Subject matter jurisdiction cannot be conferred by consent. There you go. <clears throat> uh, when we talk about challenging jurisdiction, all we're doing is highlighting the lack of jurisdiction mm, we're coming to the court and we're saying hey i deny that jurisdiction exists here and when you put it that way then the one who asserts bears the burden of proof right so if you come to the court uh, asserting that uh, oh, this is the wrong venue for this and that. Well, then you need to prove it up. But if you come to the court simply saying, what the heck is going on here? I deny that that uh, jurisdiction has attached in this matter or has been legally invoked. If we, let's take a criminal case, for example. Mm -hmm. There are certain cases, uh, certain courts that are, um, granted this latent or potential jurisdiction to hear certain criminal matters. And they'll separate it by severity and say this court handles that kind and felonies and misdemeanors of this level and that level. So it's all set up, but it's just shells. It's not active. It's just uh, empty dotted lines of where this jurisdiction will be activated. So um, if we look at the Texas Constitution, it says that the presentment of an indictment or an information vests the court with jurisdiction. 
So we see these language, we see vests, uh, we see that a court acquires jurisdiction, we see that jurisdiction is conferred or activated or invoked. And this is all the same thing. This is moving from a, a, a theoretical, general, potential jurisdiction to an actual jurisdiction that's live and it's specific to this one case. So judges tend to think of it, from what I can tell, judges tend to think of it in uh, a two-part way. They think of subject matter and personal. And they kind of take territorial for granted because that's all they ever see. They, nobody ever tries to bring them something from France or, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't come up. So I think they just overlook that one, which is fine. Who cares? Uh, and in rim is so rare that they don't, that doesn't pop to the front of their mind. So they're typically thinking of a, a two-legged stool or the assumption that the third one is always there. Subject matter and personal. And yeah, so do you want to go ahead or should I ask? Yeah, so when we, when we challenge jurisdiction, uh, we need to be clear about which one or both of these jurisdictional aspects we are challenging. Uh, you could say, hey, the court has no jurisdiction, prove it up but it's not really putting them on the dime as much as if we are very clear and specific about how jurisdiction is required by law to be invoked. And whoops, you skipped all those steps. You did nothing. Uh, we're not over here on step number 11. You didn't even do step one yet. So if you lay it out there in a, in a way that makes it really clear and specific, then it's more difficult for the, the attorneys who are opposing you to, you know, to, to make their case. Mm -hmm. Very good. Could I jump in with a few questions from the chat? Of course. Okay. Uh, so Nick is free said he, he did that. Now we might have to clarify what exactly he did. It was a few minutes ago. Uh, and they still continued with his live birth doc and declaration of a living man. This is one of the subjects that I that I wanted to bring up just because in the background of all of these interviews now really is to assist in dispelling the patriot mythology. So is is, is that what this yes. is referring to? That's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. uh, I, these two phrases, live birth doc and declaration of a living man, those to me smell like they're connected with um, the presumption that there are two of everybody. One is the real person and one is the paper or straw man. This idea never gets anybody any traction in court. Whether it's true or not, I just don't even like to go there because it, it never gets anybody anywhere. Decade after decade, people talk about this and there's never any... Um, evidence of it or any wins that can be had from it. Um, another similar phrase that people talk about there is your QSIP number and you know, they're selling my social security number as bonds and so forth. Uh, regardless, maybe they are, who knows, who cares? It's, it, is there anything we can do about that? Right. Does it have practical truth to it? Like even if it's right. actually true, but 
if that just gets people railroaded and thrown in jail or whatever the right. thoughts are. Right. Yeah. That's not a good way to challenge jurisdiction. Okay. What is a good way is to look at the criminal procedure for the location where you are. Look at the, or if it's something coming after you, if it's civil, then you look, take a look at the civil procedure. Find out what the rules say that these people are supposed to be doing in order to bring a case against you. Did they do those things? Or did they skip everything that would have triggered and invoked the jurisdiction of that court? If they didn't invoke the jurisdiction of the court, then the court cannot proceed. The very first, it's known as a threshold issue. Can you even get through the threshold of that doorway? This, this issue of jurisdiction must be decided first. We don't go ahead and start talking about the merits meaning uh, where were you on the night of the 25th and, and did you do it and are there witnesses and that, all that stuff is merits. But does the court have the authority to even talk to you? So primary pleadings. Let's talk about primary pleadings for a moment because this is a key piece of what you challenge when you're saying that they're that the court is proceeding without subject matter jurisdiction. Primary pleadings are, put simply, the paperwork filed with the court that started the case. The paperwork that one party brings to the court saying, hey, we have this controversy this court needs to adjudicate. Here's my problem. I lay it out in the primary pleadings and I say, hey, court, adjudicate this. Then we have service of process, which is to take that primary pleading, generally in civil, it's called a complaint or a petition. And in criminal, it would be the indictment or the information that's based on a sworn complaint. These primary pleadings need to get served to the other side. Somebody's accused of doing something wrong. They need to get a copy of that. They have a right to be informed as to the nature and cause of whatever accusation. And typically, those steps are all skipped. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, actually, is that uh, in, it, this sounds like it will be the first thing that you look at. Do they actually have jurisdiction over this subject matter, over this case, over me, to begin with, because they're used to cutting all the corners? Yes, cutting corners is definitely the, the standard protocol, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. when there's a, a criminal case against you, you need to know uh, to get yourself off the hook, you can't just point at things that they did wrong and point at things like, well, our Constitution guarantees us that there will be no titles of nobility. And that's true. All of these lawyers running around calling themselves Esquire, this and that, and that's a title of nobility. They're not allowed to do that. But does that get you off the hook? No. It will not get you off the hook. It's a good thing to bring up if you want to have a separate, uh, you know, issue. You start with the court and say, hey, this guy over here acting like a lawyer is also using a title of nobility, which is unconstitutional. Bring it up as a totally separate issue that has nothing to do with your case and don't try to get you know, it just muddies the waters. 
if you're trying to raise a defense that doesn't really matter to, right. to what's before the court. What's before the court is they're trying to bring it, bring you and drag you in there and have you stand and answer for a crime that they haven't even expressed. It has to be expressed legally. It can't just be uh, somebody say, oh, you're speeding and everybody knows speeding is bad. So let's go straight to the part where you pay. No, no, no. Wait, <laughs> there has to be some jurisdiction invoked here by some primary pleadings that were brought by an authorized individual to an, a court that would be uh, of that competent jurisdiction. And then it has to be served to the accused, thereby invoking the personal jurisdiction. So if you never got served, maybe it got brought properly to the court and the court would have jurisdiction to hear the matter, but it never got served to the defendant. In so the first personal place. jurisdiction, yes, in the first place. So personal jurisdiction was never invoked. Right. The court right. has to have the power to determine that subject matter, and it has to be, um, it has to have power to adjudicate the matter between those particular parties. Right, right. And uh, this question I might have saved for later, but I think it's appropriate now that at what point during the case can you challenge jurisdictions? Say you get some ways down the line, maybe a speeding ticket or something more serious than that. Obviously, different courts for different situations. And uh, and you realize they didn't even have jurisdiction at the beginning, but you, you didn't know that till later. Could you challenge that yes. down, the, down the road? You certainly could. Um, if a lack of jurisdiction appears as a matter of law, then the court should dismiss without dealing with any other issue no facts no law the court should just dismiss um, so that's something that you can bring to the court's attention if for whatever reason the judge is not aware um, a lot of times they unfortunately act like they're not aware I don't know to what extent <laughs> uh, they really are and they just you know bluff their way through i don't know the result looks the same whether they know or not but the court can't do anything in a lack of jurisdiction situation also at any stage of trial if the court finds that it is without authority so maybe it looked like it at first and then you get a little farther down the road and you realize like you said whoa hey this other document that everybody seemed to think should have been there. Apparently the official official court record shows that it was never there. Or perhaps uh, even a little more sinister. I hate to think that this happens, but it does a, a document that wasn't there originally poof magically appears later with a prior date to make it look like it were, it had been entered earlier. So uh, our solution for that is uh, as an accused or as a defendant, what we want to do is go early to the court clerk and get a certified copy of the official court record. There may be nothing in there or there may be one document. Uh, you were talking about traffic. In the case of traffic, they commonly will slip a copy of the citation into uh, the court clerk's hands and that's all she's got. 
Uh, but of course, a citation is not a primary pleading. Is not even <laughs> that that person making the report is not even a uh, representing the state or the Commonwealth or whatever. They're just uh, they're they're part of the executive branch. They're not representing like an attorney representing the uh, the entity. Uh, they call it juridic entity or something it just means that it's a it's a fiction the state or the commonwealth that's being represented so who can do that there are certain ones the district attorney the county attorney there are statutes that set up who is allowed to do what for representing if that person didn't file anything then, then there's nothing to start a case there has been no controversy brought to the court right right and uh, so I'm going to ask this question. I know you're already answering it, but I think it doesn't uh, hurt to repeat it. And it's and this is coming verbatim from one of my law guys. Uh, shout out to him. He, uh, it was his idea to, to pick this topic. So how come we can't get them to screw off by merely invoking that they don't have jurisdiction? Because of, well, you have to actually... Technically, that's what you're doing. You... you uh, yes, let's change up the wording of that just a little bit, because it's not that we're saying we're not invoking that they don't have it. We're, we're denying that they have it. Okay. When we raise the issue of a lack of jurisdiction, we immediately put the burden of proof on the one who asserts jurisdiction. Right. So, so yes, technically that's what we do and that's how we do it right. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. The people that are uh, receiving this document when you file a motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction or when you uh, say, I'm appearing specially and they tell you some bogus nonsense, oh, oh, that only works in civil courts. You don't have any special appearances in criminal court. Or they just make up stuff. They say whatever they're going to say and they have their big egos and you never know who you're going to get and what kind of pushback they're going to want to invent. Sometimes you get somebody who's willing to do the right thing and has maybe never thought about this before. I've had things get dismissed in with one certain same paperwork to say motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction. I'm here by special appearance. I'm here for the purpose of challenging jurisdiction and the same paperwork We'll get a dismissal from one judge and we'll get a whole lot of pushback from some other judge. Mm. You just never know. Right. But yes, that is the right thing to do. You, you don't want to phrase it like that. You don't want to say, uh, screw off judge. But, yeah. you, but yes, effectively, that's the same thing. You're saying, uh, I deny that jurisdiction exists here. And can I, I jump in? And because yeah. it's, it's not... It's not your original assertion. You're denying it because they've asserted it. So could you flip exactly. it on them? Right? Exactly. Improve? Okay. Exactly. I like to think of it this way. This is an example. I, if you're sitting on your front porch, you're just having some nice iced tea and watching the sunset. And up walks somebody from the road. You see, watch him walking all the way across your yard. And he comes all the way up to your porch, and you've never seen this person before. And he says, you owe him all this money. You owe me $5,000. Well, 
What's your first question going to be? Prove it. Right. Who are you? What makes you think I need to pay you anything? So he starts maybe talking about how much his knee hurts and how much of whatever. And, and you're like, who are you? You don't start dickering about the price. Which is what they would want you to do because then you have it then essentially consented to jurisdiction. Yes. So you're in your mind, you naturally have this understanding that the person who wanders up to you demanding something needs to come up with some foundation for that. If he has some real valid basis for demanding money from you, then he will be able to say, it took me over a month to track down that you, when you loaned your car to your sister and she ran over my whatever, well, I finally found out that was you. And so now you need to pay to fix my fence or whatever. Okay, so now we can (laughs) figure out, did that really happen? We figure out, oh, your fence, wow, that's an expensive fence. And um, can we work something out here? Okay, so then we'll go there. But you don't start there. You start with, who the heck are you? What are you doing in my yard? Demanding something from me. You're the one asserting authority. So prove it up. And there you go. Um, So I I hate to belabor it, but because we do have some people around still that are um, arguing for the birth certificates and that kind of thing, I wonder if you could answer this maybe from the same or even a different angle, but um, saying they have jurisdiction from our birth. Hi, Tanya. Until we rebut the presumption by making our own statement on the reverse of the ROLB. So is that is that an inherently false there that they have jurisdiction from a birth? What you were saying <clears throat> is they have they might have some latent jurisdiction, but until you bring a matter before the court, they don't actually even have jurisdiction. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I would say this is, uh, hi, Tanya. Thanks for the question. Unfortunately, your question is fatally flawed. Uh, you're starting from, okay, who's they? They have jurisdiction? No, there's no they. And jurisdiction doesn't magically happen based on a presumption that needs to be rebutted. Jurisdiction is very specifically conferred. And if it's not conferred by constitution, by statute, by actions that uh, invoke jurisdiction and, and uh, like I say, activate that jurisdiction by primary pleadings in a court case, there is no jurisdiction. It doesn't just magically exist by presumption or by somebody said that placentas belong to the Pope and somebody said that L-A-W, land, air, water. Okay, people have cute ways of thinking about things, but this is not where law gets created. This is not where justice happens and jurisdiction gets magically presumed until it's rebutted. Um, Thank you. Yeah, if you want to rebut what you believe is a presumption, presumption feel free to rebut it however this is this is not where jurisdiction comes from and none of the judges even the ones who are knowledgeable i won't say they're all at the same level of being knowledgeable but even the ones that are knowledgeable and will recognize that they have jurisdiction if x y and z happens they never start with presumptions 
and say, well, they forgot to sign the secret form that undoes the magic uh, uh, incantation that we did behind closed doors. (laughs) This doesn't happen that way. Right. Don't worry, Tonya. He's not making fun of you. Yeah. Not, not you. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Just joking. We all go through phases of, uh, as we're beginning to understand things that are not right, we feel in our gut that it's just not right what's happening. And then somebody comes up with what sounds like maybe a plausible explanation. Oh, the Catholic Church did this and this and that. Therefore, oh, no, that's how they're getting away with it. But no, not really. <laughs> not Take really. a look at the law books take a look at the procedures that these judges and attorneys are required by law to follow. They stepped into an office that we, the people created, you know, we created these instruments that we call government and the dotted lines where those people have an office, these officials, they're just a man and a woman who stepped into an office. They swore on their oath that they would follow certain rules. They, they gave to the public, hey, you can trust me. I'm going to do things according to the law. So look at that law and see, are they really doing these things? You can oust them if you need to. You can get them kicked off of your case. You can have them disqualified. You can have them removed from office. You can have them thrown in prison for doing high crimes against the people. But don't worry about trying to rebut a presumption of a birth certificate or trying to, all that really gets you. I'm sorry, Tanya, anybody, a lot of people, I'm saying it's not just you, Tanya, a lot of us, what I'm saying, we all go through phases of understanding things. It's not your fault. Somebody presented this bogus nonsense and we, we different ones of us pick up on different parts of it and say, Oh, that sounds reasonable. And yet don't waste your time there, please. (laughs) For your sake. Go look at the rules and the laws that these people are required to follow and just notice where they didn't challenge their lack of jurisdiction because they didn't acquire it if they didn't follow the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And Tanya, you should go get to know Brett. He's, uh, there's a lot more than if you're just meeting him for the first time, then you may very well underestimate who we're talking to. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt there, Brett. <laughs> Um, I was actually going to jump over to uh, someone sent me something and they were they were arguing against this too. So I would be curious what to see what you say. Um, just does jurisdiction not essentially mean control as in who has control over a given area or thing? And uh, it goes on to say, the state police has no control over the state or local cops have no control over the municipality is absurd. Although a local cop acting outside the municipality would be acting outside their jurisdiction and therefore has no control or authority to enforce anything. Uh, It's actually quite long, but he says, at the end of the day, I don't see challenging jurisdiction will achieve anything but bring you to a higher court in where the stakes are higher. It sure wouldn't be the one and only thing I would bring into court with me as my only means of defense. The only exception of this would be if I own something 100%, that if the government wishes to to attempt to control, which would be simple by proving that I have 100% of the investment in in it, and they do not, therefore, there's that they again, therefore, they have the right to even, they have no right to even hold a hearing without my express consent, because I have the control, this is my jurisdiction. What's wrong with that statement? Hmm. 
Well, let's see. That's kind of long. Let's see if we can uh, take it apart. Uh, he's talking about police, which that's an executive branch kind of thing. That's not judicial. So we're not talking about courts. He's talking about, uh, or at least at the beginning was talking about police and where they exercise their authority. Uh, and yeah, that is uh, colloquial, colloquially called jurisdiction. I would think of it as more appropriately called scope mm. of their job. But yes, if they are, if the police are trying to do something that is outside of their area, I think is the word he used, uh, or municipality, I forgot. That's it. Uh, then, uh, yeah, that would be outside of their ability to exercise, to do, to do their job. You know, their job is limited to a certain geographical boundary. Uh, oh, just a little asterisk for that. They have uh, in the statutes, the legislature has authorized something called extraterritorial jurisdiction, ETJ. And it allows for a municipality to make a deal with some other municipality that's nearby and say, hey, we'll let your police come over X number of yards into our zone, and you're going to let our police go enforce X number of yards into your zone. And there's a sort of a crossover there, but it's by contract between these municipalities. And the state legislature says that's okay. They can do that. So then it doesn't actually uh, increase the kinds of things that they can enforce the police, but it does extend the geographical boundary lines for that. Now let's talk about his personal property. It sounds like he was leaning toward dealing with land and saying, and I might be wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much into that question, but it sounds like he's talking about his home. This is my, see my fence. This is my line. Here are my boundaries. Stay out, leave me alone. And <laughs> I'm all for that. The, hmm. uh, what is it? Olmstead VUS said that the, the right most valued by civilized men is the right to be left alone. <laughs> and yeah, we want to be left alone. And this guy who, who made that comment, I, I believe he's absolutely correct. When he comes to the point that he 100% owns that property, then there's no mortgage or banker or lien holder of any kind that can say, well, actually it's X percent mine and I have a, uh, an ownership interest. Nobody can say that it's his. And if anybody else wants to talk about it, they have nothing to say in terms of this in rem jurisdiction. So jurisdiction, like we talked about, has these different aspects. If anybody wants to bring a, let's say, a property tax suit against his land, that would be an in rem thing they're trying to do. Or if they're trying to come after him because he didn't pay, then that would be treating him like a taxpayer and they're uh, hoping to gain in personam jurisdiction, personal jurisdiction. So anything that goes before a court has to have all of the aspects of jurisdiction and they have to be uh, activated. Judicial power is only latent or potential until it is called into action in the manner authorized by law. 
And is that through motions or just includes motions, I guess? That would be by someone who says that they have a claim against the property or against the man and saying uh, they, they put their claim to writing and they bring it to the proper court, the court that has that latent or potential jurisdiction. They bring it that subject matter to the court that handles that subject matter. So that it and could they, be activated. Yes, that's how they invoke the court's jurisdiction to hear and decide that matter. The first step in the, another word for it is attachment of jurisdiction. You got invoking, uh, vesting a court. Another word for it is attaching. You'll see if you read through the jurisprudence, they use the, the word attaching sometimes. The first step in the attachment of active jurisdiction is the filing of a pleading, outlining the controversy, and invoking the aid of the court. It doesn't just happen magically. Somebody has to say, I'm a party, and I'm coming to the court with this document. They, they bring the document to the court clerk, say, file this, will you? Then they take a copy of that, and they serve it to the other party or multiple parties, whoever's the defendant or defendants, so that everybody is on the same page. Here's the issue that we're going to be dealing with. At that point, let's say it's this, this fellow that brought this question. At that point, he could say, if he's a defendant, he could say, I challenge the, the jurisdiction of this court because the plaintiff is without standing. I am the 100% owner. Look here, here's my um, notarized signature. Now, I've got an affidavit in front of the court. That's solid evidence. And I asked that the court would dismiss this case because nobody has standing to bring it. Yeah. So that would effectively challenge the jurisdiction. And if they couldn't rebut that affidavit, then they would have to dismiss it. Is that where you're? Yes, they would have to dismiss it. I wouldn't say it's a challenge to jurisdiction because you're still asking the court to make a call on that. Okay. But you wouldn't, uh, it's, it's a challenge to the standing of the plaintiff, the one who is supposedly invoking jurisdiction. You're cutting the legs out from under him saying, because it's his job to prove it, right? He who, he who asserts bears the burden of proof. Right. So you're cutting out the legs out from under the one who is now going to bear the burden of proof. You're saying he's the one that should be able to prove jurisdiction of this court, but He's nobody. I'm 100% owner and he's nothing. Right. So you're cutting his legs out from under him and what's he going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got one question. I'm not even entirely sure, but maybe you can see. And, and it's, um, do bar members even realize they usurped our rights by lumping us in with corporations? Can you, can you make sense of that or should I get someone to clarify? Hmm. Do bar members realize that they've, what is it, usurped our? That they usurped our rights by lumping us in with corporations. Hmm. I'm not sure if bar members even know how to think about just people. I think they look at everybody as an even entity. If you, 
if the plaintiff and or defendant is somebody that can sue and be sued, then they're all about it. They just want to stir up controversy and get paid to litigate it. I'm not sure if they think about it in terms of usurping rights. I don't think that they, even the bad ones that I see that are just like, they're horrible. I don't think they're doing that on purpose. I think they're just trying to get paid. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you, you wouldn't have that thought unless you were like truly evil and you knew that you were trying to take people down. You wouldn't, you'd be in some kind of denial about that. I have to imagine. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, Steve Mack is here. Uh, he has a question, if you don't mind, Brett. says, um, <laughs> how does a bylaw give me a ticket when there's no party with a claim? And if the bylaw is making the claim, how can he be the only witness and the one presenting the charging instrument? A bylaw. How does a bylaw give me a ticket? Uh, Obviously, a police officer. I think he might be talking about, yes, a police officer enforcing municipal code. That's what it sounds like is the context. Uh, So a ticket would be given to somebody who is... Uh, required to follow that the codes of a corporation sometimes they call a municipal court a corporation court i don't know if they do that in canada but it's so obvious when they say it that way that (laughs) if you don't work for the corporation that's not for you these rules are for the corporation Mm. if i if i uh, go to work for mcdonald's and they tell me that i'm supposed to wear a certain you know color everybody has to wear red pants well they're phrase everybody must be understood in scope this is the employee manual for mcdonald's it's not for all humans on the face of the earth right if you want to be an employee of mcdonald's you have to follow those rules and if i don't wear red pants and i'm required to wear red pants they can cite me for it this citation or ticket is perfectly appropriate for somebody who is an employee of the city or who is in contractual privity with the city. They've entered into some sort of uh, deal where we've agreed that all of our, whatever, say, say, say I'm a landscape contractor and I come in and I'm going to do certain things to take care of city properties. And uh, they might have some rule about Uh, I don't know, noise ordinance. And so I need to make sure that my equipment doesn't exceed the level of the, however many decibels they say is too loud. I need to stay within that. And I've agreed by contract, I'm going to follow all of those corporations rules. So if I come in and they say, well, before 8 a.m., you can't have this kind of machine. It's too loud or after 9 p.m. or something. I need to stay within all of those rules. And I can get ticketed if I don't. But men and women are different. Men and women created that corporation. We, we created the corporation that created the corporation that created that corporation. So we're way, way outside of their scope of who they can tell what to do. Um, so let's talk about this other part of what Steve was, was mentioning. He says, uh, If the bylaw is making the claim, how can he be the only witness and the only one presenting the charging instrument? Now, let's unpack that a little bit. I think he's talking about traffic tickets, probably, or maybe some code enforcement stuff. But it's a very good question, and it's it's one that 
goes directly to jurisdiction in a court setting. Because how can he be the only witness, for one thing? Uh, you know, if we look in the scriptures, we see that you shall not hear a sole witness. By the mouth of two or three witnesses is a matter established. Of course, now these people are not going by scriptures. We all know that scriptures are the underlying truth on which all these other levels are stacked, and we get that, but they don't. They're doing a municipality thing. They've got their code ordinances, and in that context, it's perfectly legitimate for the wrongdoer, the one who didn't wear red pants, to be called out for it, and it only takes one witness. Somebody checks a box. Somebody files a, you know, a pink slip, and that gets handled according to corporation rules. It's not law. It is not law. We the people have given through our legislature, um, we have set up what the law is. We did not say anybody else can make up anything else they want in any corporations that are created there under, and those rules can suddenly have the force of law. No, 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 no. Those right, are municipal they, ordinances. Right. They really wanted us to believe that that, that was law, and they would say it. This, exactly. By law. <laughs> right. Like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So then let's talk about this other one, about the one presenting the charging instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, in a typical court mm, proceeding where you have the plaintiff is the state or the the, the one who's doing the accusing, the state, the commonwealth, the king, you have some ethereal accuser. It's not a real man or woman saying something's wrong. It's an attorney who's representing some fiction. And the attorney is saying something's wrong. Uh, that attorney is the one who needs to bring a charging instrument. The cop can't. You're talking about a, a policeman that works for that um, corporation. All he can do is bring some evidence to an attorney. The attorney can say, oh, my goodness, I need to follow due process of law, take this sworn complaint. I need to write up an indictment or an, uh, I mean, uh, an information or I need to go to the grand jury and get an indictment. I need to get some paperwork generated so that I can activate the jurisdiction of the court. He's the one that needs to do that. The cop can't. He doesn't, he's not even a, the right person. He doesn't work for the right agency to even be close to authorized to do that. All he can do is bring his citation, and he, he can even swear out a complaint, but he has to go through the process, the due process of law. He can't just be the one presenting the charging instrument. Nope. I understand it happens all the time, but that's because we people don't know to call him on it. So we call them on it. That's what we do. We say, this court has not had its jurisdiction legally invoked. I deny that it ever happened. I deny that there is one shred of paperwork from any authorized party, a party to vest this court with jurisdiction. And you point at the Constitution. You point at the Code of Criminal Procedure. And you say, show me where you did these steps. Very good. Very good. 
I hope that helps, Steve. I know that was kind of a, a long winding way around. It was uh, hopefully helpful. I imagine. No, that's fantastic that you were able to answer that in such detail. Uh, he says he has a court date June 5 to deal with it. So yeah, I wish you the best for that. Um, I was listening to Brandon Big Sib and uh, James the Patriot talking about challenging jurisdiction. Very lucky they actually published something recently or did a video recently about that. And they they talked about equity being pushed, right? We live in this politically correct world and it's all about, um, you know, good for everybody, this narrative that's going on. There's, there's certain truth, but they're obviously twisting that. You want to talk about why equity be, would be pushed, you know, is it over? challenging jurisdiction? Is that how they're trying to stop people from doing that? Well, it sounds like I have some good learning ahead of me about that. If they've just put out some information, I know that it's going to be really good for me to get a hold of that and, and absorb what they've been learning. Uh, I'll tell you what I, the way I see it right now, you're talking about equity and the way that looks to me is it still needs to go through due process before it can be codified into uh, here's where the line is for committing a crime or for somebody, um, whatever the wrongdoing, whatever the offense, it needs to be codified clearly from the legislature. That's where all those discussions about what's equitable, what's fair, what's right, that needs to happen in our elected representatives making that call and putting it down in writing. It cannot and should not ever happen on the side of the road by the cops trying to decide whether it's a good idea to break your window and drag you through the glass. It should never be decided by a judge who says, well, I think this is going to be judicially expedient if we do this way and that way. We can skip these steps. If, you know, Think about it. The county is having to pay all this money to do this, this and that. And, and to bring this expert witness in here, that's just not fair. I'm going to do something that's more equitable. No, he doesn't get to make that call. It's already been codified in law by our elected representatives. That's where those discussions of equity need to happen. That's, that's my take on it right now. But like I said, I look forward to seeing what, uh, what Brandon and James have had to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll lay a link on you after for your trip, maybe or wherever, <clears throat> whenever. And uh, so there was, I, I want to. I'd like, love to dispel this as well. That you know, what creates law, and it's it's legislation, and there's there is a, a distinct process in Canada. I'm sure in the U.S. it's it's the same, and and then the the, the, the possible misunderstanding that a promise we made creates law, and I think that's that's totally off. Correct. A promise we made. Right, like. I maybe Tanya, you'll have to clarify what promises you're talking about there, but <clears throat> what promises have you made? Like where you're cooperating with the law makes the law, but I don't think that's true at all. That law was there before you came along and made any promises. I can't picture yet how that connects. Um, yeah. Okay. About that's a promise. Okay. I will say that when a, a judge or uh, any of these people that are in a position of a public servant, uh, of course, they prefer public official. Uh, they, <laughs> if they're in one of these roles, uh, they have stepped into that by way of our trust, the people's trust. Okay. And they did that through an oath of office. They solemnly swore that they would uphold the law. And this is not um, 
that they would uphold what they think is a good idea. They didn't say they would uphold and try to be fair with everybody and equitable. That's not their place. They swore they would uphold the law. The constitutions are the, the basis of that. And then it gets stacked on from there by the constitution sets up that we the people are electing our representatives and that we the people delegate the authority to create law law that's binding on the people we we the people gave them that limited role it's limited by on every side by all kinds of checks and balances but that's that's where the law gets created it's ultimately from us from the people that we authorized these elected representatives to to do this limited thing right and, and oh sorry go ahead and the promise piece comes into effect when you have somebody who's a public official who is on their oath saying to the people i will uphold that Right. And this, um, say, uh, Tanya clarified that she's talking about contracts. So say you're in contract with the bank and then you've, you, you've effectively promised the bank that you're going to uphold your side of that contract. And that's where law gets made. But I still don't agree with that, right? Because actual law is legislation made not in the courts, right? The courts aren't lawmakers. Well, Tanya is absolutely correct okay. that uh, we have an unlimited right to contract, we can make agreements to do anything that is uh, that, that we want to agree with somebody else. We come to an uh, agreement together, that's the contract, and it is uh, enforceable by law. I wouldn't call it the law itself. Though there are plenty of laws that enforce contracts, and in fact, the there is no there is no way to make a law that impairs the obligation of contracts. They can't interfere with a private contract. If I make a contract with you, it's between me and you. I am responsible to you to hold up my end of the bargain, and you're responsible to me to uphold your end of the bargain. If somebody doesn't uphold their end of the bargain, then we go to have that adjudicated. And it has to be adjudicated according to law, but I wouldn't call the contract itself the law. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I get to be right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I apologize for the noise in the background. My, my uh, boss is calling me, but your, your time is, is coming uh, soon to an end as well. Uh, perhaps we could do a part two at some point. I know you've got a lot on your plate sure. but, um, and yeah. uh, we could go, go deeper into that, get people to, you know, now having heard this to rework some questions and situations for you. Uh, I know Alphonse was around. If you want to jump on Alphonse, you would be welcome too. if you'd like to keep talking about challenging jurisdiction, but Brett, thank you so much for being here. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, that's great. I'd be open to doing a part two or, or uh, even a slightly different angle if you want to approach some other part of jurisdiction or, yeah, any kind of follow-on that you have in mind. Okay, that would be wonderful. All right, well, I hope you have a good... I will stay on for a bit, and uh, if you need to let yourself out the door, then you're most welcome to. Do visit uh, ruleoflawradiois.com, correct, for the um, radio shows that take place? Yeah, that's right. 
It's yeah. uh, Randy Kelton. Yeah. Radio.com. So I'm just going to share a link here in the chat and people can click right on that. And uh, yeah, really, really good. I, every time I put it on, I never regret it. Even when I think I'd, I don't want to care about law right now and still is <laughs> engaging because you're talking about real people in real situations and you guys are really helping them. So that's a lovely thing. And I know how generous you are with your time. Uh, and I know also how judicious you are with your time. And I have a lot of respect for that. So don't, you know, if you if you want to reach out to any of these guys in the law world, make sure that you are prepared, that you actually could answer the questions that they're going to ask you right away. The, the groups are the best place to do it. Is that not uh, right, Brett, that um, coming into the Telegram groups is the best way to? For me, that has been the best way of all. Uh, it's the most scalable and it's the most, um, it's the best way that, that allows me to put in a few minutes whenever I have a few minutes to help the most po people possible. Um, other people that maybe they didn't have that question today, but they're about to have that question next week. <laughs> they get to read that too. Exactly. This, the scaling is very, very important because if you spend all your time helping one-on-one, -on -one, then you're going to do the life is going to drain right out of you. And uh, so here is the telegram link to the law society and Alphonse, I saw your, your message there. I'm going to uh, take a chance and drop the link to this stream in here, knowing that no one else is going to abuse that link. That would be awesome if you didn't. And, uh, and so thank you so much, Brett. It's been an absolute pleasure. Happy Easter. If you were celebrating, I guess it's still Easter Monday, technically. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And uh, if you guys in the chat want to hang on, then it looks like Alphonse is going to join to continue the conversation. All right. Talk All to right. you later. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that was fun. I was having in my in my mind uh, possible double double head there. And uh, it looks like that's going to work out. So fantastic. And Alphonse is here, lickety split. <laughs> so good. Hello, Alphonse. You hear me? <laughs> I can hey, hear Matt, you. Long time no say, First, let me say, Brett is probably the most decent human being you would ever meet in your life, okay? Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Brett last week. Uh, he came down here to help a, a, a woman with a case. Uh, they're trying to railroad her. Here's, here's just a real brief overview of what they did. She's yeah. involved in a matter, and she brought a secret recording into, into court. Okay, to record this court. Well, she got the transcript later, and guess what they did, Beth? They took out what? the bad parts in the transcript that they didn't like. She had them. She had the recording. So she she followed up with the court and said, "Hey, wait a minute, you guys are doctoring the transcript." So then they got cute and they said, "Let's prosecute her for taping in the court," and they actually tried to move a case against her with the district attorney prosecuting her. Okay. And so Mr. Brett Fountain flew down here with his family, okay, from Texas to Pennsylvania, flew down with his family to help her out. And he filed something called a writ of serratory, okay, where it's basically saying it's challenging what the lower court did, okay. So they were lining her up to run her through the mill. Brett filed this writ of serratory or helped her file the writ of serratory. And she showed up for the hearing that day, and they said, oh, uh, uh, we've rescheduled this. We, we, we got to get the, the writ serratoria settled. I'm guessing that probably this case is going to sort of go off into the ether, okay? And that was all because of Brett came down and helped her out, okay? So, like I said, he's probably one of the most decent human beings you'll ever meet. I mean, very caring, good, good with his time, uh, helps people out. So, 
Uh, and he's he's smart as a whip. I you know, listen to what he's telling you about jurisdiction because that's how this is done. You know, these courts and these lawyers will assume things that Oh, we're just a little bit frozen. And while well, we're waiting for Alphonse to come back online, on. just they're just going to steamroll. So if you don't understand really what's going on, they're going to steamroll you. And, and that's what Brett and I are about is basically just trying to wake people up. Like, listen, stop with the birth certificate stop stuff. Stop with the trust stuff. Listen, that don't work. I'm telling you, I'm personal friends with a, with a man. Thank God he became a, he's a good friend of mine now, Steve Emerson. That guy's got, I, I can't even guess the amount of where his, where his number's at. I'm pretty sure it's north of $50 million he's got people in settlements, okay? Just in his county, he's gotten over 20 properties off the tax rolls. Throughout the, the country, he's probably gotten over 40 properties off the, off the tax, roll, tax rolls. Why? He's not using birth certificates. He's not using trusts. He's going in with the actual law and saying, hey, look, here's what the law is. Here's what it says. And they can't come into a real big boys court. We call it big boys court. When you're in these little local matters, the, the municipal courts, that's your local courts, they're going to steamroll you. They're going to steamroll me. They probably won't steamroll Steve anymore because they sort of know who he is now. But at first, they were steamrolling Steve, okay? That's what they do. This is how they work. So you just got to get that in your head that don't get depressed when you file this stuff in these local courts and they're going to steamroll you. That's not the purpose of filing this stuff. The purpose is to make you a record so that when you bring in the big boy court, you know, where there's an adult involved, well, now somebody's got to step up, like Brett said, and explain how they got jurisdiction. Okay. How they magically acquired jurisdiction in this matter. Um, it's no... Listen, I, I got a lawyer in a case. I got a hearing Thursday. Beth, I, I got a lawyer locked into a, a forgery. Him and the clerk forged three writs. Now, the legislature, when you read the writ, it's got to have not just the judge's signature. It's got to have the president of the court's signature on it. Know what that means? Not any judge. The legislature didn't want any judge to sign it. They wanted the top guy to sign it. They want the top guy to sign it. So... The clerk and the attorney conveniently left that off the document, okay? <laughs> then they left off the seal, the court seal. Here's how important court seals are. There are case laws where I read down here in Pennsylvania where cop, cops went out to execute warrants. And the, the person they were executing the warrant against wound up killing the cop. And they had to let the guy go. Why? Because the cop showed up with an improperly executed warrant that was not sealed. Seal means it comes from a court, not from some office, not from some secretary. If you hear wrestling, this is two German shepherds wrestling in the background right here. But it came from a court. So this is how you lock these people up into this stuff. You use the actual law. And like Brett's telling you, listen, I'm going to tell you, 95% of the time, they're not doing it properly. And when you go read the rules and the law, you're going to go, like Brett said, they want to go to point 11. Oh, wait, you guys missed one through 10. You know? How do we get to point 11? If you don't know any better and you're in there talking about, like that woman said, oh, you got to right on the back of your birth certificate. To... No, no, okay? <laughs> no, that's not, it's not going to do it. That's mm -hmm. not how it works. You mm -hmm. go back and you go, hey, wait a minute. Here's what the law says. Now, 
real quick, let me give you people. So, so, I mean, I know how the U.S. works. So I'm, I'll bet you Canada probably says the same thing when you go read your case law. Here's how this works. The state legislature creates law. Okay, we call them the assembly. It's the the, the Senate and the co Congress together. We call them the assembly, but they create law. It comes from the legislature. Okay, nobody else can create law but the legislature. All your local municipalities, your towns, your boroughs, your township, whatever, they're what they call creatures of the state. Okay, that's an actual technical legal term. It's in court cases, creatures of the state. Here's what a creature of the state is. It owes its existence to the legislature. In other words, the legislature could just ban it anytime it wanted. The legislature controls that creature of the state through statutes. Okay. They, whatever's in statute has to be expressly granted to the municipality, the local government to do. If the legislature doesn't expressly grant it to the local government, they can't do it. Okay. They don't have authority to do it. So you need to go back to basically understand how that process works. And if the state legislature never had authority to do it, obviously they can't expressly grant it to the locals to do it. That's how you beat these people. That's how Steve got over $50 million in settlements. Uh, I, I'm a piker. I've only, I, I got people like north of a million dollars right now, basically, in actual cash settlements, okay? And, and I don't consider wins making things go away. It's a, it's a good thing to make things go away. But to me, a win is when I can put money in your pocket, okay? When I get that idiot that was doing something to you and he's got to give you a check to make you go away, that's a win to me. Good. Amazing. There you go. So yeah, I was uh, two questions. Like one is, uh, Tanya, if, if in the background you want to, you know, send me all the evidence of your wins and how all of this has really worked for you. Last we talked, it wasn't the case. Uh, then, then feel free to do that. But I would um, like to talk to Alphonse here. And um, is, is there a law maxim defining that process, or or is it just a known fact? No, it's actually in case law. It's great. Uh, it's funny, Beth. Every time I get involved, I, I, my property tax suit's done, ready to go. I'm just getting ready to to, to file this suit. I'm, I was uh, like uh, just touching it up, like with my my exhibits and all. And I get the locals bother me again, okay? And and every, it's aggravating because these are like, they're like gnats. But every time I have to go deal with them, I learn something more. And, and what I did is I start reading, digging in the case law, what the courts have said. And they talk about, hey, listen, a municipality, the locals, they have no power to tax. They have no power to do anything. And here's what else they said, Beth. Ordinances and resolutions. Got a little freeze of the internet here, so I'll just hang on for a second. And case law, yeah, exactly. So darn it, you can hear my boss calling. Crap. <laughs> yeah, we're back. Okay. okay, okay, yeah, I can hear you again. So your locals control you through ordinances and resolutions. Well, here's what the actual courts have said in Pennsylvania. Guess what? Ordinances and resolutions are not laws. They, they flat out say it. They're not laws, okay? The mm. rules and regulations. Well, now we go back to what Brett was talking about. Beth, how did you become responsible for your town's rules and regulations? Are you in contract with them? Like Brett was talking about. Because if, you, like he said, if that if he's got a contractor doing work for the, uh, the municipality, then they could do these rules and regulations against these people. But that's not you and me, okay? Mm -hmm. But you need to understand that concept. So, no, it's actually in your law that it states... The legislature has to expressly grant 
to the local townships and boroughs and what are they have in Canada, the right to do something. They have no legal authority. The locals have no legal authority to do anything themselves. It's got to come from the legislature. Let's talk about real quick your property. Let me ask you this, Beth. Does the, does the Pennsylvania legislature own my property? No. Do they have any ownership of my property? No. Obviously no. Can they grant themselves an interest in my property? Can they say, you know, Mr. Fadjo, we're going to grant ourselves some rights in your property. So now we've taken those two elements apart, okay? You can't own it, and you just can't grant yourself interest in it. So there has to be a way you can attack, the legislature can attach themselves to the property. It's got to be a legal way. It's not on the back of a birth certificate. It's not from some secret trust, okay? It's okay. actually in the state tax code. Because here's what the tax code says. Beth, when you organize and incorporate a business, okay, that's your first element. You've got to first organize and incorporate the business. And then you've got to be, to, to bring the property into it, you've got to be conducting business in the state. You've got to own property in the state. Or you must be doing, uh, creating activities in the state, which are business activities. Once you're doing that, then the legislature can attach themselves to your home or your property, and they can expressly grant the locals the right to tax the property. If that license doesn't exist, it can't be created out of thin air, or birth certificates or anything else. It's got to be in paperwork. So if I was a real taxpayer, Beth, they could go get my, 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 uh, my articles of incorporation, what I filed with the state. And my papers that I filed with the state, you go, hey, Mr. Fajola, look, you're a taxpayer. You filed this stuff. Now they can move against me. But if they don't have anything like that, they're done. And that's what the locals are doing. And I'm running them through the ringer now because they're assuming that I'm this registered entity with the state. I'm not. There, there's nothing there. That's how you do this stuff. It, it's, it's, awesome. it's, there's no, there's no, uh, they, people call them adhesion contracts. There's no such thing. I can't make you do something unless you freely know that you and I are in an agreement. You know, we, right. we have to have a meeting. That's what meeting in a mind means. I just can't, I can't unilaterally put a contract on you, Beth. Like if I sense, I see this all the time, Beth, and you see it too. Someone said mm -hmm. to somebody, a, 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 an affidavit or something, they'll say, if I don't hear from you in 30 days, you've agreed to this. <laughs> no, I can't hold you to that. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, Alphonse, can you give me one minute? I'll stop the meowing. Are you are you able to uh, keep going and I can hear you? Oh, now he's froze. So. Yeah. And, and Brett will tell you, listen, the more you do this stuff, it starts to become fun. Yeah. Because yeah. now you see, now you can take an attorney and put him out on an island by himself. He's got yeah. that 30 years of experience over you. He's got that quarter million dollar education and that little piker like me or Brett are going to bat him around like a rented step mule. Or like, you know, we're just going to bang him around because we're not going to talk about birth certificates and this. We're going to say, hey, Mr. Attorney, listen, it's my property. <laughs> How the hell did you? Hey, you guys, bear with me. I think uh, Alphonse is frozen. I need... A minute, and I'm going to be coming right back. With any luck, Alphonse can hear me. So bear with us if you'd like to yeah. hang in. And uh, Tanya, you need your own podcast. <clears throat> okay, can you yeah, hear me? Yeah, listen, I, I don't want to fight with Tanya. Yeah, I can hear okay, you. Good. I don't want to yeah, fight good. with Tanya and these other people that are into that stuff. I, I, yeah. Listen, I, I'm put up or shut up. I'm, I'm put yeah. up or shut up. Listen, if you got wins, show them to me. 
I don't want to hear yeah. this one away for that. Listen, if you exactly. could, you could show me you stuck money in somebody's pocket, you you won, okay? Can you hear me, Beth? <laughs> Hey, Alphonse, I Yes. Here we go. I yes, shut my I, cam off. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that will save your bandwidth. Definitely. Yeah. There was a question. Um, no, I mean, fire B. away. Fire away with the questions. Fire away with the questions. Go ahead. Yeah, Rob B said, do the pen case laws apply across the state? Across Pennsylvania, yeah. I mean, and, and every, listen, every state's going to work the same way. In other words, it has to work the same way. We can't have, we can't. In each state, each state can sort of have their own laws, but there's certain things they have to follow due process, and there's certain ways things have to work. They just can't – we just can't be – like me and Brandon, the big Sid, can't be living under two different law systems where they could just tax his property because he's got no say in it, but they can't tax mine. They've got to be operating under the same way. So, uh, yeah, it's the same across the state. Righto. Righto. That's awesome. Yeah. Um are there any other questions about jurisdiction? I can see if I can go through my notes and see if there's anything else here. Um, when it comes to that three-legged table and what's the most common situation you're seeing where they're lacking, say, one or more of the legs? Well, here's what they do, Beth. Uh, it's like Brett said, territorial jurisdiction, they just assume that they have, which they generally do, okay? You're in that territory. Um, so they need to have both in personam or personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction. They're the two legs he was talking about. The only way a court can get personal jurisdiction in a matter, Brett, uh, Beth, somebody has to serve you a lawsuit with a summons. They got to say, hey, Miss Martin, you're being sued. Here's the summons. You've got to answer by 20 days. Okay. Here, here's the complaint. That's how a court can start to claim they have personal jurisdiction in a matter. Subject matter jurisdiction, which Brett was touching about, even though a court can hear a certain type of matter, like a, a whatever, a contract dispute, say courts can hear contract disputes, okay, certain contract disputes, doesn't mean that they could hear your matter. Because if somebody's suing you for a contract dispute, Beth, what's the first thing they need to have? You need to have the contract, right? <laughs> you got to have the contract. If I'm going to sue you for a contract dispute, I got to have the actual piece of paper. And I go, look, there's the contract. Look, Beth signed it. Look, she agreed to this. So even though that court can hear a, a contract dispute, if the party bringing the suit does not have a contract, that court can't establish subject matter jurisdiction. They can't establish that I ever had a, a, a duty to that person. And I, I don't want to go down this road, but I've not many credit card matters out for people based on this because the attorneys were arrogant enough and stupid enough. These are, these law firms go out and buy these credit card debts. Okay. They buy pennies on a dollar from the credit card company. And then they'll turn around and sue the person for what breach of contract. Well, the first thing he asked for is where's the contract. They don't have no contract. And then they'll do other stupid stuff, Beth. They'll have somebody that works for them submit an affidavit to the court, like a secretary, and they'll say, I have personal knowledge that these debts are real. 
Does that secretary know anything about anything on those debts? No. Okay. So now you got to get somebody committing perjury. They're claiming they have personal knowledge of debts that they could never testify to. And when you put that in a motion to dismiss, hey, Mr. Judge, I don't see any contract. They brought a contract dispute. They don't have the core element of a contract. They don't even have the paper. And this affidavit that their secretary signed, this is perjury. I have somebody that's just claimed they have personal knowledge of debts that they could not possibly have personal knowledge of. This is perjury. And lo and behold, what goes on, Beth, the matter goes away. It gets dismissed and it goes away. That's how, that's what jurisdiction is. Personal jurisdiction, they got to give you a service of process. Got to get somebody to knock on your door and say, Beth Martins, here's the complaint. Here's the summons. You're being sued. That's called due process. To notice an opportunity to respond. But here's what they do, Beth. The court mails you a letter. You get a little letter in the mail. Hey, there's a judgment against you. Judgment? <laughs> Never had a trial. <laughs> you know, who's coming after me? They can't. So what they'll do is people don't understand there's two law systems going on. There's administrative law, which was set up for agencies to deal with agencies. So that so that when the borough's fighting with the sewer authority, they can do things in this administrative court. But what they've done is they've looped you and me, the people, into this administrative law process when you and I want to be in a judicial court. Because in a judicial court, Beth, i got to serve you a complaint and a summons and give you a chance to answer. In an administrative court, I do whatever the statute says. If the statute says the court could just mail me a letter and tell me there's a judgment against me, well, then they, they can do that in an administrative court. So I want no parts of being in that administrative court. I want to be in the judicial court. And where they've got us buffaloed is you don't know the difference or you didn't know the difference before. No one ever taught you what they were doing to you. How did I learn this? I got my ass beat up for three years, okay? That's how I learned it. Like, I couldn't figure out what's going on. And the more I couldn't figure it out, I had to start reading case law and reading the laws and going, oh, now I see exactly what they're doing. This is how the law works. This is how it has to work. That's what jurisdiction is. Got to have service of process to get personal jurisdiction. And think about subject matter jurisdiction also as the person bringing the matter must have legal standing in the matter. Here's what standing means. You had to have injured them in some way. You had to have done something that injured, like, it's got to be a material injury. You can't say, well, I think you injured me, you know, or I think you did that. No, you got to say, hey, listen, you were supposed to deliver me grapefruits. Because you didn't deliver me grapefruits, I couldn't deliver them to my supplier, and I lost $5,000. That's a material injury that I could prove. So you got to have standing in a matter. You can't bring a matter based on your feelings or, you know, that, that you think you think it's a wrong or think it's a breach of the law. No, you got to have standing in a matter that, that you you were materially damaged in some way. You had a right to something. The person deprived you of that right. And because you were deprived, you were materially damaged. They hurt you financially or physically, one or the other. So I got a question for you uh, from one of the other chats. Said If you get a speeding ticket... And a, and a default judgment gets put in, is the remedy to sue them? You technically, yeah. I mean, you, that's your destination. Now, here, here's, a, here's a way, a couple ways to deal with it before you go to that stage. The last nine citations me and my buddy got, we have not stepped foot in a courtroom, okay? Here's how they work. 
These are called summary offenses, speeding tickets. Here's what a summary offense means. It's an administrative process, Beth. Remember we talked about administrative law and judicial law? It's an administrative process. So what they've done is for administrative process things, they've shortcutted the process with this administrative law called a summary offense. A speeding ticket or going through a stop sign is a summary offense. They're saying, hey, it's a real minor misdemeanor, so we don't really need to have a jury involved, and we don't need to do a trial. We're just going to handle it this way. They can do that administratively, but they can't do it to me here in Pennsylvania or in the U.S. Why? I have a right to trial by jury in all matters. It's in my state constitution. It's in my federal constitution. So if you're going to stick me in this process where you're telling me I can't have a jury, you've now violated my right to trial by jury. You violate my due process rights. That's what I'm going to go after you on. Listen, here's my, that's how you stand on your rights. Hey, listen, here's what the law says. If you're using this administrative process, like a traffic ticket, it must, this process must not apply to me because if you took this, it's a legal application, the summary offense process. But if you take that process and apply it to me, well, now you're violating my rights because I have these rights, these rights, and that's those rights. Remember, the legislature wrote this summary offense process up to deal with creatures of statute and creatures of the state. That means entities that are under their jurisdiction through registration, through, through putting, you know, uh, getting a license with the state. When you get a license from the state or you register uh, a business with the state to do business in that state, you become a creature of the state and you become a creature of statute. That means once you get that business license, now the state legislature can write statutes that now control how you operate your business or what, what you do with certain things. So the, the average person like this guy talking about driving, I guarantee he's not conducting, he's not using the public highways, the public transportation system. He's not using it to move goods or people for profit. He's just some guy in his car going to a store, getting some food for his family. So obviously that transportation code really wasn't written for him. But they make a ton of money off this stuff by doing it this way. And why? Because we're the dumb monkeys, Beth, and no one ever taught us that this is how this, this is what the real law is. And this is how it works. And we are just old that, hey, listen, just pay it. And here's what they bet on. For a $120 ticket, most people are just going to pay it and be done with it. They're not going to go get an attorney because the attorney's going to cost them 100 times what the, the traffic ticket's going to cost them to beat. So they're just going to wind up paying $120. But if you're like me or my cousin in New Zealand, here's who we are, Beth. And I think Brett's the same way. And Brandon's the same way. And James the Patriot's the same way. Here's us. If we got the 100-hour speeding ticket, we're going to spend $10,000 to beat it. Okay? <laughs> we know it's not logical, but it's just the principle of it. We're going to spend 10 grand and beat this guy for this hundred hour ticket. Then we'll deal about getting the money back, but that's how we're wired. And that's how most, if you want to beat these people, you've got to be wired that way. I'll spend the 10 grand to beat the hundred dollars. But most people, you know, Beth, they take the, what the most easy path, right? I'm just going to pay the hundred dollars and be done with it. But by exactly. doing that year after year, here's how you get this system. This is why we're in these, these systems like this. This is called customs, practices, and policies. They're not laws, but this is just how they've been doing it for so long. It's almost taken on the appearance of law. Because mm -hmm. the cops just think this is how it works. They're, you think they're trained? No, they're trained to basically write you tickets and bring revenue in for the municipality. That's their job. 
They're, they're not really peace officers anymore. They're revenue officers. They're out there to get to, to gain revenue. And I don't want to just paint every cop like that. I've had some decent cops that have actually let people go. We sat, we sat next to a cop at a bar, me and my buddy, and he overheard us. We didn't know he was a cop. He overheard us talking about cases and all that were that I was involved in. And he he comes over. He goes, listen. He goes, I just want you to know, I'm a cop in a local uh, 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 town. He goes, I don't write tickets for that. He's like, because I leave people alone. He's I, I don't write those tickets. You know, that's a decent guy. Okay, he, he don't want to hassle people. Yeah. But I, I had a friend that a good friend that was a cop, and his boss, his his superiors, they would tell him, Bill, you're not writing enough tickets. You're not writing enough tickets. Not not whether people are doing right things or wrong things. Just you're not writing enough tickets. This is the mentality that is that is sort of taking hold uh, among the people. So, yeah, yeah. A couple more questions. Are you up for it? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, home security company Cody over on Rockfin is asking, what's the easiest way to get out of a contract with? It? They're called Vivint. And uh, they're apparently absolute sharks. He caught them altering their, uh, they altered his contract and lied several times. So what would be the easiest way to get out of a contract like that? You could sue them in a local court. You could bring them to a, either a small claims court, really small claims court, because it's probably real, I mean, it's probably not a lot of money he's talking about. So you could do it as cheap, a small claims court will cost you about $50 to file a suit. If you go to like the municipal court, you're going to pay about $400, $450. So sue them for breach of contract, Cody. And you got the contract, you got the agreement. So here's here's what a breach of contract is. There's three elements. One, uh, they had a duty to do something. You you got proof, right? They had this duty to do something. Number two is that they breached that duty. In other words, you got to be able to prove they have a duty. How would you prove that? Look, I got the contract with them. Look, here's what it says, the agreement. They're supposed to be doing this. Then you got to be able to prove that they breached the contract. Look, they told me this, but look, here's what they did. And you got proof of it. Look, here's the contract. It says this, but they breached the contract. So now you prove they had a duty because you got the contract. You prove they breached it, number two, because, look, you got proof that they're not following the contract, and now you have to show how they had it caused you damages. Because it is, I'm not getting the service I paid for. I have damages. Uh, you know, Pay me $500 or whatever your damages. So you want to sue them for breach of contract. They had a, they had a duty. They breached the duty. And because they breached it, they damaged it. Real simple. Very clear. That's awesome. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one. Neta Kate is asking about the laws when uh, somebody, you don't call someone the right pronouns. And, uh, you know, this is obviously in the realm of ordinances and bylaws and bullcrap. What would you say about yeah. that? Total nonsense. I mean, call them whatever I want. You know, I mean, I, listen, I'd be respectful to people, you know. Uh, I, I call Mr. Attorney. I don't, not like, <laughs> I call him, you know, Robbie or Diday, the, the attorney, but no, I, I don't say like they can't do anything because you called somebody he who wanted to be called she. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, that's total nonsense. They nobody can do anything to yeah. you because you use the proper the improper pronoun. That's all. These are basically what you call court rules. Okay, I've heard actually people check in the suits, and I think Canada was one of the main offenders where they said my pronouns are he and him. <laughs> I'm like, you know, are you kidding me? My pronouns. I'm going to call you whatever I want to call you. <laughs> Listen, I'm not here because of pronouns. I'm here because you made a claim against me. We're going to talk about your claim. We're not going to talk about what, you know, I want to be called princess or, or you know, prince or, or whatever your designation is. I don't really care. So, so that's all nonsense stuff. Somebody tells you that, laugh in their face. That's a joke. Right. 
their pronoun. My pro my pronouns are they lied, and I picked that up from Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my pronoun lied. is you're an idiot. Okay, that's my pronoun. Yeah. You idiot. You're an exactly. idiot. That's my pronoun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, kind of goes without saying. Another one from David Zaragoza. Does Alphonse use express trust or common law trust? Does trust law really supersede any any uh, all other jurisdictions? I know where you're going to go with this. Why is it not more common? No, listen, trusts are not for that. Listen, you don't you don't cloud your, your property titles up with trust. Listen, know what a trust is for? It, it's really what it's for is if I've if I've got this, you know, real estate empire, you know, and I'm a, I got a big family, uh, well, <clears throat> I'm gonna probably set up a trust, a real proper trust, and designate, you know, a beneficiary and, and who's gonna administer the trust. And that upon my death, here's how I want my estate distributed. You know, that's what trusts are for. Mm -hmm. You don't listen, just because you set up a trust and you stick your house in there, that's not going to stop them from taxing your property. And it's not going to stop them from doing other things to you because trusts have nothing to do with property taxes. And I'll, I'll address that tomorrow in Crow Show. We'll go into property taxes in depth, what they are, how they work. But no, you don't need a trust. Listen, trusts are, there's nothing wrong with a trust. If you set a trust up for a certain reason, my cousin's got a trust set up in New Zealand, but he's got like $6 million of assets. Okay. So when he dies, he don't want somebody to get slapped with some crazy New Zealand tax bill. So he set up a trust so that when he dies, well, then somebody else will now assume the, 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 uh, the head of the trust and it'll just continue on. It's, a trust is like a perpetual instrument. that will just continue on just because the owner of the trust dies he hands it off to another owner. So the trust still exists. So the trust serves certain purposes. But you, me, the, you know, me and Beth don't need to be setting trusts up to protect our homes and to protect our cars. That's not what trusts are for. Okay. Okay. Very good. Yeah, that's that's really clear. Um, yes, Emilios is asking about uh, he has a business and through he uses his car to drop off boxes at FedEx. Uh, also did an LLC, would a trust work for you? So kind of along the same lines, I guess, eh? No, he, he, now he's considered basically a, a creature of statute, a creature of the state. Now, when he set that LLC up, he filed formal state paperwork. He filed paperwork, okay? Yeah. That puts him within the scope of the legislature, okay? When you go read your actual state income tax laws, here are state income tax laws, they'll tell you, here's this 10 separate entities that, that, are, that are taxpayers, and one's a, an S corporation, a C corporation, a, a partnership, an association. They'll actually break down 10 separate legal entities that are taxpayers. And one is basically an LLC. When you, when you registered that LLC, you basically created a, a CITIS. We call it a CITIS legally, but it's really a nexus between the state and you and your property. You're basically designating, when you did that LLC, you told the local county or your state that you are conducting a, an occupational privilege in that taxing district. In other words, you're using that taxing district to conduct an occupational privilege or perform business services in that taxing district. You're going to fall under the tax laws and you're going to fall under the statutes. Now, if Emilio just did that on his own without having an LLC and, and did his little whatever his business was, they couldn't tell him to do anything. They couldn't, they had no say in what Emilio did, okay? He could do whatever he wants to do as long as it's legal, okay? Um, mm -hmm. But once he got involved in doing LLC, he's going to put himself, he's going to create a citizen between the state and the county and his business and him as a taxpayer. 
because he's going to be an LLC is a an LLC is a legal entity. When you hear LLC or any, we call them, they are fictions of law. Okay, that's what a company is. It's a fiction of law. When you create a fiction of law through registration, you create a, it's called a creature of statute or a creature of the state. You're basically putting it under the legislature's authority to be able to write statutes and control it. And when the state, the legislature can control it, they can then say to the local municipality or the local county, you can now tax it. You can now tax Emilio and tax Emilio's car, you know, because he's using it for his business. So by that LLC, he put him, he basically created a citus, which is a, all citizens. When you hear citus, it's a right to tax something. When, when Emilio filed that LLC, he gave the state and the local county, whoever, where he filed it, he gave him a right to tax him, is what he's saying. He declared himself as performing business services or, or activities or an occupational privilege in that taxing district. So you're going to say, hey, Emilio, you're in our taxing district performing these services, these business services. We're going to tax you on that. So that's what, that's how that works. Right. Oh, and that is that a disadvantage? I mean, you, you, you obviously need some way to interact. Well, LLCs are good for some. Same thing. I think with an LLC, it's a limited liability corporation. The advantage of right. that is if Emilio has an accident, okay, during the course of business and kills somebody or whatever, has some, they like can't come after his house and his car, his personal stuff, okay? It's the corporation. Right. It's a limited liability corporation. So for somebody, right. I don't know Emilio's business. If Emilio's in a business like that where he has, he's in danger of any time being sued by somebody like a doctor or somebody with, with you know, uh, with liability suits. That may be advantageous for him to have an LLC. If Emilio is some guy that goes out and does plumbing at people's houses, no, he Emilio don't need no LLC. You know, if Emilio is a pro driver that's on the road all the time, using the, the, the road all the time for business, he's driving eight, 10 hours a day. An LLC might be a good thing for him because it's going to protect his his personal assets. That's all LLC is. It's a limited liability corporation. It protects his personal assets. Depends on your business. Advantageous for somebody might not be advantageous for somebody else. So it really depends on it. It's a call. Yeah, good answer there. And uh, Billington Bear had a question. What's the best way to deal with a state administrative court to get a driver's license back from a denied or a revoked status? Without, I mean, you'd have to see the paperwork. See, see, Brett gave you a great idea. Tell us whoever this gentleman is. Mm -hmm. First thing I would want to do, wherever. Oh, darn, we lost you. Alphonse will have to get him to repeat whatever he was just going to say. I bet it was good. <laughs> there we go. Hello. Are we back? <laughs> yes, you're back now. Okay. Can, you start, can you start again? Sorry, we missed that entirely. Sounds like whatever happened to this gentleman's already happened. He's they've already taken a license, whatever. So first thing you got to do is I don't know the, the basis for how this whole thing happened. Like Brett told you earlier, go to the court, wherever this thing happened, wherever this matter happened, go get certified copies of everything in that file. Okay. And then go read your actual, like Brett said, read the rules, read the law and see if they did what they were supposed to do. Cause most likely 95% of the time they don't do it right. And like, Brett was talking about subject matter jurisdiction. Somebody asked earlier, if you like, I think you might ask, if you found something like if you're you're already involved in a matter and later you find out, you know, in the middle of it that they did something wrong, can you challenge it? Yes, the courts have said you could challenge subject matter jurisdiction at any time, even when the case is over. When the case concludes, you could. 
There you go. So even when the case is finished and concluded, you can still challenge jurisdiction. So that's brilliant. <clears throat> Be very. Mm -hmm. In the file uh, and go find out. This is a learning process for him now. Now he's going to learn how the actual citation statutes work. Okay. And, and take this. Tell, I tell people, take this as a learning uh, 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 opportunity. Like, don't get mad because you got a traffic ticket. Go take it as a learning opportunity. I got rental properties in a neighboring town, Bethan, and I got the local code idiot that popped up and tried to bring an action against me for not having a certificate of occupancy. Okay? So right. I said, let me, go read the, let me go read the citation law in Pennsylvania. I guess what jumped out at me. There's only one, there's only one group of people that can issue citations. Law enforcement officers. And they designate who law enforcement officers are. They're cops, they're sheriffs, they're deputies, okay, they're detectives. Nowhere did I see code enforcer in there. If he wants to bring something against me, he can't file a citation against me, Beth. He's got to file a complaint against me. Like Brett was talking about, got to file a complaint. So then I filed criminal complaints against the judge, the code enforcer, and I filed a judicial complaint against the judge. And everybody went away, okay? Why? Because I had the actual law and showed, see that citation? You can't use citations. This is how this works. So he could use this as a learning advantage to go learn how the citation process works for his state or country, wherever, wherever he's at, and go get copies of all the documents and see what they did wrong. And then go back and challenge them on it and say, hey, if that case is closed, most cases they could, they call it a, you file a, 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 you file a, a petition to open up the case. So even though the case is done, you can then later file what's called a petition to open up the case. And in that petition, you tell them why you're filing the petition. Hey, I'm looking at this. Looks like looks like Mr. Prosecutor did this wrong. The law says he was supposed to have this, but he didn't do that. So I'm going to need you guys to overturn this and give me my license back. So that's how you would go over after that stuff. But you got to have, like Brett said, you can't go into court and just say, you don't have jurisdiction. <laughs> you guys don't have jurisdiction. No, you got to be able to walk in with documents and say, look. Here's what the law says. You don't have this. So there's no way this court can be granted jurisdiction to hear the matter. That's how you beat these people. Very good. Uh, Sandra Sanders is asking, can um, we ask, what if you register an assumed name, Minnesota DBA, like doing business as, while we register the name, we have not registered it as a corporation. While we register the name, we have not registered it as a corporation. So do you understand that? Yeah, I understand it. I understand it fully. Okay, uh, completely meaningless. Okay, <laughs> listen. Yeah, the only time you can register your name is if you're doing business on there. If you got Beth Martin's designs, okay, and you're designing like clothesware, so you go out and you get a trademark for Beth Martin's designs. That's your trademark, so nobody else could use that. Now, you, I can't go out and register my name, Alphonse Fagiola, and then they they stick my name on an envelope and go, "Hey, listen, that's a it's a register." trademark and, and you know you violate no 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 okay no. you can't register common names okay uh there's copyrights are for protecting intellectual property songs books okay that's what a copyright's for i've heard people say they copyrighted their name that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard in the world it's a completely meaningless thing to copyright your name it's got no legal power whatsoever or i've heard somebody say i've got a trademark on my name that's completely stupid too I have a trademark. I can't trademark Beth Martins. You can't trademark that. It's a common name, probably. Probably a ton of other Beth Martins out there. 
So if you trademark something or you copyright something, you've got to be protecting some kind of uh, private property. Like if you trademark Beth Martin's, well, you're protecting your clothing line. You know, okay, that's what Beth Martin's protects. And if you copyright, if you copyright something, you're protecting a song you wrote or or a, or a book you wrote. That's what the copyright protects. So putting trademarks or copyrights on your name is not going to stop them from suing you, not going to stop them from giving you tickets, and not stop them from taxing you or taking your property from you. It's not how it works. Very good to know. That's awesome. And uh, I just saw Matt Beller. One more thing. Stop, stop running away from your name. I've had people say, well, well, that's not my name. It's in all cap letters. Stop it. That's your name, okay? <laughs> I could sue somebody and call them John Doe if I don't know their name. Now, I don't have the person's name on the lawsuit, but I'm going to be able to get it in discovery, okay? I know I'm going to be able to get the name, but at the time of the lawsuit, when I don't have that person's name, I call him John Doe. Now, I don't have the person's proper name on it, but he's not going to be able to walk in court and go, Mr. Fajol didn't, didn't address me properly. Call me John Doe. Uh, uh, you need to dismiss the case. No, doesn't work like that. Like Brett said, that's not how jurisdiction works. Stop running away from your name. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they put it in capital letters. doesn't matter if they put it in 20-foot-high capital letters. It doesn't mean anything. Either somebody has a right to do something or they don't. That's really what it comes down to. Either they have a right to do it or they don't. It doesn't matter what they did with your name, your birth certificate. It's all garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you did a great workshop. I'm going to actually shout out uh, to you about that workshop in the House of Free Will on uh, <clears throat> why a citizen is not a slave, political and legal distinctions, because that was actually a really good key turn. Even, even though I know everything that you're saying is true, I didn't realize that that's where that error gets made between the political and legal distinctions. Yeah, Beth, in here, they, uh, listen, they got everybody over here and they probably do it over there. They got people running away from the term sovereign citizen because the cops are trained that sovereign citizens are domestic terrorists. Well, right. lo and behold, <laughs> when, when I'm reading case law in Pennsylvania, I get this judge's Supreme Court of judge, okay, opinion. He rips the state, okay? He rips the state agency. Know what he said? The people are sovereign. It's in Article 1, Section 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. That's there to protect the people, not the state. He banks sovereign over and over again. Yet lo and behold, what are they telling people here? Don't call yourself a sovereign citizen. Well, when you see my filings and you see my, I just did a motion that sort of is an outline of the property tax suit, how it's going to look. But when you see my property tax lawsuit against the county, I define myself as one of the sovereign people of Pennsylvania. Now, guess what? I'm daring somebody to step forward and challenge me on it. You know why? Because I supported it with actual case law. Look, here's what the Supreme Court said a sovereign citizen is. So, they use psychological warfare against you. They get you to run away from things that are advantageous to you, which is your citizenship. Your citizenship is your protection, okay? They'll tell you in court sightings, listen, being a citizen of the United States is different than being an inhabitant, a person, or a resident, which that's what all the locals are going to call you. They're going to call you an inhabitant, a resident, or a person, so that they can tax you and do things to you. But when you learn the actual law, you don't just become a, a, an inhabitant or a resident or a person because you don't do things a resident does. Beth, in this case I'm, I'm dealing with now, local case, you'll love this. Attorney writes, well, of course not. Mr. Fadgel has this wrong. 
this municipal claim law is for municipalities, get this, to be able to charge real to, to get uh, judgments against uh, uh, residents in their in their territory. Well, when I went into the actual tax code and I read what resident is and non-resident, a non-resident is somebody that lives outside the taxing district, but's in the taxing district for they, they have some set number of days. And guess what they're doing inside the taxing district, Beth? They're performing services. It says performing services. <laughs> performing services. So that means if a non-resident, somebody lives outside the taxing taxing district and is in the tax then comes into the taxing district to perform services. That's a non-resident. So then a resident would have to be somebody that lives in the taxing district and is performing services. I don't perform services here. So I went after him on that. Hey, this guy's either incompetent or he, he basically misled the court. Called me a resident. Look, here's what the actual tax code defined a resident as. Somebody that lives in the taxing district performing services. How many times have you been told you're a resident? Or guess what they call your property, Beth? Residential real estate. Here they do. They call it residential real estate. Really? Well, real estate belongs to a taxpayer. That's somebody we're talking about that's organized, incorporated with the state, and they're doing business in the state. They have real estate. You don't have real estate. I don't have real estate. You got property. That's what property is, okay? You got property. Taxpayers have real estate. Tax, real estate's used in, the, in, the, in what the taxpayer uses in his business. You know, if I'm, if I'm at Walmart... I need property. I got a property to run my business. That's real estate. Walmart's got real estate. My little house here where I eat, sleep, and drink, that's all goes on here. <laughs> that's not real estate. That's my property. Mm, nice. Great distinction. Super important. Uh, I probably have time, if you do, Alphonse, for one more question, and then I do need to wrap it up. But sure. um, you're okay for that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, and a good one from Eric. So uh, sure. he's in a civil... He's in a civil code province and, uh, you know, Brendan is in Louisiana and he doesn't seem to have a hard time holding these people to task. What's the big difference between common law and civil law? No, they're both, listen, people are, are all hung up on common law, civil, civil law. Uh, listen, there's only two types of matters. There's, there's civil matters, which are like a contract dispute between me and you, you know, uh, and there's criminal matters where somebody actually commits a crime. OK, so so forget about common law. Here's what common law is. Common law is in your constitution here. That's our common law. OK, it's commonly known that I have a right to trial by jury. It's commonly known I have a right to, to uh, due process. And I, I don't know where he's at. And uh, is he in Louisiana with Brandon? I'm not sure. Or is he in uh, Canada? But Canada. it's either a civil matter or it's a criminal matter. Canada. OK, so but you either have same thing, Canada, you either have civil matter or you have a criminal matter. So if it's a civil matter, that that case has to, like Brett was telling you, it's got to operate a certain way. Somebody's got to serve you a complaint with a summons and say, hey, Beth, you're being sued. You got 20 days to respond. And Beth, if you don't respond in 20 days, we're going to we're going to get a default judgment for you. Basically, in other words, if you didn't respond, they're going to then go back to the court and say, hey, Miss Martins did not respond. I'm going to need you to give me a default judgment, judge. Hence, that's why you have process servers, Beth. You know what a process server is it's proof that you were served that suit it's not right. that you got it set in the mail and you might have got it you might not have got it when he serves you that lawsuit miss martin's yeah you're being served and he gives you the documents the, the complaint and the summons that process server then goes back to that court and files what's called an affidavit of service 
lets the court know, I served Miss Martins on this date. So that starts that 20-day clock. Now you've got 20 days to respond to that complaint. If you don't respond to it, he's going to go back to the court and say, Miss Martins didn't respond, Judge. I'm going to need you to give me a default judgment. Because you had a chance to answer, Beth, you didn't take it. And the judge is going to grant the default judgment, whatever he asks for, he's going to get. That's what a default judgment is. If it's a criminal matter here, like Brett touched on earlier, there's only two ways a criminal matter can can happen in, Pencil, in, in uh, the U.S. It's got to be a grand jury indictment. Okay, grand jury is a private jury. It's citizens, jury, jury of citizens. They got to hand down an indictment to want to prosecute somebody. Or it's got to be done by what's called an information. And an information, we it's, it's called an information, or we call it also a, an affidavit of probable cause. That's whoever... Five, that's a document that's sworn under penalty of perjury. Somebody submits to a court saying that you committed a crime. I got evidence. Beth Martin is, you know, doing this criminal action. So somebody that's called information. Say, say a cop thinks you're doing some criminal act. He would file what's called an information with the court or the DA. And the DA would then file this information. Hey, we got this affidavit or this, it's called an information affidavit of probable cause that Beth Martin is doing these criminal actions here. Okay. That's the only way they could start a criminal matter against you. And like Brett said, a lot of times they skip all that. Instead, Beth, they're going to send you something in the mail to locals. Okay. They're going to say, hey, Beth, you, you, you know, you let your grass get too high. Uh, you know, it, 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 this is a, it, they call it a, a non-traffic citation. It pushes it on the criminal because it's citation. It's you're growing your grass. Okay. It's not like you're doing it. You didn't hurt it. You're not hurting nobody, but they're going to, they're going to, they're going to call it a non-traffic citation, which is going to push it under the criminal code. But now what did I just tell you about criminal? It's got to happen by an indictment or an information. Let me ask you this. Is that citation, does that citation meet any elements of a criminal complaint? No. So then, like Brett said, how the court get jurisdiction to hear about this grass growing matter? Because <laughs> you know, my grass is a foot high. How did the court get jurisdiction to hear this criminal matter? They, they don't have it because there's no indictment and there's no information. So that's why Brett's telling the people earlier, if it's a civil matter, go read your rules of civil procedure. And if it's a criminal matter, go read the rules of criminal procedure. They'll spell out word for word how this thing, this process happens. And you're going to find out, whether it's a traffic guy earlier asking about his license, that they skip all these steps. They just skip because mm -hmm. they've been getting away with this for so long. No one calls them on it. And this is just how they do it, Beth. Like I said, it's how we do it. You know? mm -hmm. But when you can call them on that, this is how you they leave you alone. Right. And that's how it's slowly evolving the process. So they're like, oh, we have to pull our socks up? Ah, maybe we'll be pulling our socks up a few more times than we used to. Right? There's a great video. There's there's a great video. There's a YouTube video. I got to see if I can find it again. But uh, they pull this. There's two cops. You hear to see their body cams. You can you see the, the audio. Hear the audio. They pull this SUV over. And they got the guy pulled over and they're running his stuff. And you hear him sitting in a, in a car talking. Well, when they find out the guy's identity from running his information, the one guy goes, oh, F, you know, he says, oh, F, you know, uh, this is the guy. What guy? Well, it turns out that the guy they stopped had sued that police department and the, and the county because they were running an illegal rodeo. They were abusing animals. OK, he sued him in federal district court and beat them. So when they pulled him over and they figured they got his name, they went, the one guy went, oh, F, you know, and the guy goes, what? He said, that's the guy. What guy? 
That's the guy that sued the county and, and the police. And the other guy goes, oh, shit, we're going to get sued. Like he knew right away, we're going to get sued. Know what that meant? Pulled the wrong guy over. Damn it. Hmm. He's not one of the monkeys. He's not the guy going to bring his birth certificate in and argue about his birth certificate and his trust. No, he's going to file a lawsuit against us, and he's going to sue our asses. And guess what? He's going to heap personal liability upon us. Not only official responsibility, official duty, he's going to sue us in our individual capacity, which means we could lose our home, our bank accounts, and our businesses because that's what individual capacity is. That guy did something outside the scope of his job, that cop. Now he opens himself up to personal liability. That's the power of doing this as far as holding them accountable. They don't fear birth certificates. They don't fear trust. They fear lawsuits. When that process server shows up to bet, that's the most powerful feeling in the world. You get wronged by some cop doing this to you, and then you get to sue them, and you get to hire your own process server, and he goes to their place of business where they're at in front of all his, his buddies there, the cops, and he goes, Mr. Smith, yeah, you've been served. <laughs> oh, now all his buddies heard this guy's getting sued. Now Mr. Cop starts looking at your lawsuit. Dude, he, he don't understand the law. You think that cop understands the law? No, no. He's going to have to turn it. The attorneys are going to step in and they're going to look at it. And if your lawsuit's written well, where you got them dead to rights, they're going to have you going to call you up. Miss Martins want to have a meeting with you. You're going to have a little meeting. Miss Martins, what do we need to do to make this go away? Well, if you give me $10,000 and get rid of that stupid, don't ever stop me again if I'm driving around in your, your county. We'll take care of it, Miss Martins. So then, then they say, well, Miss Martins, we're going to need you to sign a non-disclosure agreement. You can't tell anybody that we did this for you. Can't tell anybody we gave you the 10 grand and that we're not going to bother you anymore in the county. But we need you to sign a non-disclosure agreement. We, but we don't want you to tell anybody. That's how this works. That's why people mm -hmm. go, I can't find this case law. Or I can't, well, you're not going to successful stuff. You're not going to find case law on it, a lot of the big stuff, because they ended in non-disclosure agreements. They ended in settlements because whoever was getting sued couldn't go to court and fight it. That's yeah. how this stuff works. Yeah. That's why that's why I get so mad when I hear about birth certificate and stuff. This is not how you beat these. Listen, I beat these people. I, I beat them in their own courts, too, a lot of times. Um, this is how we do it. it. It's not through this nonsense. Stop listening to these people telling you this stuff. They're going to hurt you. If, yeah. if you're fighting me. And you're talking about nonsensical stuff about birth certificates and secret trust. I'm sitting there licking my chops because I'm going to run you over in court because I know court procedure and I know the law and I know how to hold people accountable. And you're over there talking about nonsense that the judge is going to look at you and a jury's going to look at you like you're crazy. You're in there arguing that Federal Reserve notes aren't money. I've heard this. Federal Reserve notes aren't money. They're, they're going to look at you and they're going to go, this person's a nut. Because then people worked their entire life and got paid in what? Federal Reserve notes. So they're going to look at you like a nut. They're not, they don't care about that. They're going to care about when it says, hey, you took my car without a warrant. You towed my car without a warrant. The law says you need a warrant or it's called theft. That's how you beat them. There you yeah, go. read the manual. Read the manual. You know? Read the effing manual. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Alphonse, what a fantastic bit of luck that you were available and in the chat and could pick up where Brett had to leave off. So that's fantastic. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I, it's funny because I had in my mind to reconnect and then here you are. So, so good. 
Well, listen, uh, Brett, listen, like I said, Brett's probably the most decent. He's more, I'll tell you, he's more decent human being than I am, okay? He's the most mm. decent human being I ever met, okay? <laughs> he, he's, he's got a beautiful family. He's just a good guy, okay? And uh, he's a smart guy. And yeah. listen, the reason we do this, I, I'm not getting rich off of this yet. But when I get rich, Beth, I, I have never taken a penny from any of my, my Telegram people. In other words, I, I, don't, I don't solicit money from them and say, listen, I'll give you my documents if you give me... I put my stuff out there for free. Take it and yeah. use it, okay? Because I'm not going to get my, I'm not going to get rich off of them. I'm going to get rich from the county when I sue these idiots and have them come in and go, we can't go answer that. <laughs> Give him money, make him go away. That's where I'll get my money, okay? So, and Brett's the same way. He's of the same mindset. And the more people we can bring along with this, where do you think James the Patriot came from? Where do you think Brandon came from, okay? Brandon will tell you, he was doing this all cat name thing. And then he talked to me and he figured this is probably a better way to do this. And then he went, oh, did a 180 and he's got subscriptions to, to this, subscriptions to that. And he, he's got six lawsuits going on, okay? Here's what Brandon did just now, Beth. In the federal district court in Louisiana, this gentleman mentioned Louisiana, in, in the federal district court where, where Brandon and, uh, and Gary are, his, uh, his buddy, they wouldn't let Brandon and, and, and uh, Gary in court without a mask. Brett, Beth, they had a big sign at the front. You can't come into the court without a mask. Mm-hmm. Well, Brandon and, Ga- and Gary, they filed a federal district lawsuit against the judge. I think she's an Obama appointee, okay? Appointee, <laughs> federal judge. They sued her, okay? Suits just happened. She just got served. Beth, guess what's, guess what's no longer in, the, in the, uh, the lobby? They took the sign down. They removed the sign. Now Brandon and Gary could walk into that court with no mask. How did that happen? Oh, yeah. Because they didn't run in and talk about the birth certificate. Yeah, they didn't turn in and run talk about the birth certificate and the secret trial. They, they went, hey, you know what? Miss Judge, you have no authority to be depriving people of coming into court because they don't have a mask. And by the way, we're going to sue your dumb ass and we're going to hold you accountable. Lo and behold, yeah. the sign comes down and the court opens up for people. This is what we want people to do. Follow this. We're, listen, it's not our process. We don't make processes up. We're just following the actual law, okay? Right. That's it's not power. a great And, and if you exactly. do this stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I no, found the link. Stuff, like, we, we have American Jews. When you read what the courts state, like like Google Scholar is a great team. I don't know if they, they have it for Canada, but Google Scholar here is great. That's free for someone to look up. They could go in and find cases in, in their state for whatever issue they're, they're dealing with, driving, whatever. They could put a search term in there and all the cases will come up. And if you read those, you're going to learn a ton of stuff. And here's what you're going to be shocked about, how pro-people the courts are. You would think the courts are just, they're on the side of the government and the municipality. When you read what the courts said, you're going to be shocked at actually how pro-people they are. But in order to get them to act that way, you can't run in there with nonsense and birth certificates and secret trust. you got to walk in with the actual law, like Brett said, and say, hey, look, here's the steps. You guys didn't do it properly. I'm going to need you to hold these people accountable. That's how you do this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Hello, Bianca. Nice to see you. And uh, darn it, there's one last really good question. I, I know I've said last a few times now. Can you handle one more, Alphonse? I think sure. this is how all of our conversations end. Sure. <laughs> and uh, so Eric is asking, you got a tax assessor saying he must take pictures and send them. How do you deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> he must, huh? He must. Uh, now, I, 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 Eric, I wouldn't send a tax assessor nothing, okay? 
I would send, uh, basically, I, I would send like a, I would do a formal record request. Okay. Uh, is he in the U.S.? I don't know where he's at. If he's in the U.S., listen, go do a formal record request. Oh, even Canada, go do a formal record request. You got to have some kind of formal record request process, whatever, wherever he's at. I mean, I would think Canada's got it too. Okay. Ask him for a record of statutory process he's following. Please provide me the, the legally and lawfully promulgated statutory process that you are following that requires me to take pictures and send it to you. Show me where, because in other words, that tax assessor, that's a local guy, okay? Remember we talked about they got to be expressly granted these rights? So there's got to be a statute that exists, Brett, that, that exists, uh, Beth, that says from whatever, the upper government province, whoever, that basically they would have to write a statutory process out that says the homeowner must take pictures of the property and send it in. How much you want to bet that thing doesn't exist? There's no, there's no statute. So now he's got a tax guy making stuff up, telling him he must take pictures. He must. He must. Really? Go ask for the statutory process where it says he's got to take pictures of his property and send them to the tax assessor because I'm going to guarantee it don't exist. This is how you set them up for lawsuits because they say it is dumb stuff. They do this dumb stuff. Indeed. Indeed, they do. <laughs> well, I think we'll start to cap it. And there. listen, the reason yeah. I don't mind answering questions, the reason I, the reason I don't mind answering questions, if I could get just one person to flip their mind and do this stuff, I get another, you know, uh, the James the Patriot, another Brandon that are out there filing lawsuits left and right that are caught in causing havoc for these people. Because now you're seeing a wave start to happen. Guys like Brett, there's a wave starting to happen where now they're, they're getting a little nervous because we're not running at them with birth certificates and secret trust. We're going, hey, wait a minute. I'm looking at the actual law. You don't have a citizen with the property. You don't have a legal right to tax the property pursuant to the law. Now they can't explain themselves. Now they get nervous. Oh, my God. What's going on? The monkeys are learning. This is how we do this, Beth. It's, we, we, well, that's why we beat put people up for Patriot. Listen, I beat people up on Patriot mythology stuff in my group. Relentlessly. You know why I do that? Better, I beat the hell out of you in my group. Instead of you getting in front of a judge and attorney, they're going to take your kids, they're going to take your home, or they're going to take your liberty because you're over there spouting nonsensical crap. You're going to hurt yourself. So I might beat you up and hurt your feelings, but by the time you get in that, you're going to go, hey, Alphonse is right. I'm going to use the actual law and I'm going to fight these people legally. So better we beat you up than you getting in front of a judge and I'm taking your house, your kids and, and your, your liberty if possible, you know? So yeah, that's why we do this. We can just change one mind and get one other pain in the ass for, to, to come at these people. We've done something, you know, we, we've accomplished something. Indeed. Just got nominated. <laughs> Very good. <clears throat> yeah, tough, love, tough love, baby. Well, Alphonse, fantastic. This was really, really good. Uh, we might have Brett in the background still listening, so hopefully he had a chance to hear the follow-up. Yeah, hopefully um, I didn't use Brett's. I, I just popped in to listen to Brett. I like listening to Brett. And guess what? I yeah. always learn stuff off Brett. You know, exactly. you know, it's like when I talk to Steve, I learn something new. I talk to Brett. When I talk to Brandon, I learn something. When I learn James the Patriot, I talk to him. I, you always learn something. Like You go, oh, you know what? I never thought of that. So and it's good to listen to people and getting different points of view. 
It really yeah. is. And you guys work together really well that I notice there's no, you know, you're not calling each other out or trying to claw the other one back or put the other down. It's, it's fantastic. I get almost it's- excited when Brandon wins something. Like if Brandon gets an accomplishment, like getting a son, like I get excited. Okay. I think that's cool. He took a federal judge and he made her put her towel between her legs and take a sign down. Okay. I think exactly. that's cool. When I exactly. get somebody to knock a ticket, like when they show up for the ticket and the prosecutor says, Oh, we've dismissed all charges. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, me on these criminal matters. That was another guy from our group. We dismissed all. We dismissed- oh, looks like he maybe had a break in his internet. I will just say that uh, that win that Brendan is talking about is at this link in the chat at YouTube. And it's also in my King Hero chat if you're on Telegram. There is the Canadian Court Procedure Group if you're interested to join. There is a link below. It's by email sign up only. Here we go. And- so yeah, just, just to say, listen, Brett, Brett, Branding, uh, Gary, uh, me, uh, we take pleasure out of seeing people's success. It's not a joke. Listen, if somebody, I got guys in my group, Beth, one guy just got 19 grand from an employer, uh, another guy in the Isle of Man. The, I, I didn't know what the hell Isle of Man was. I had to look it up, okay? <laughs> a guy named Steve Gardner. He got a $21,000 settlement using Dr. Gray's stuff and the stuff we taught him, Okay. I think that's phenomenal. Some guy halfway across the world rung him up for 21 grand because there's something he learned from Brett or me or Brandon or James. That's great. Okay. That's why we do this. I don't, I'm not doing it to get people's money. I don't want your freaking money. I don't really need your money. Okay. I'm doing okay myself. I'll take <laughs> money from the county and these other idiots, these law firms. That's where I'll get my money. Very good. That's awesome. I love it. Um, I wanted to make sure and let people know about the Canadian Court Procedure Group that um, you know, we, we've learned a lot from you American folks. And then there are those of us in the back end trying to match it up with Canadian law. And um, they, I think they're having some success. So there is a group and there's a link below in the show notes if you'd like to join by email only. Also, I um, would put an invitation out to the House of Free Will for those who feel called. There are a number of law workshops already there, including one with Alphonse Fasciolo. And uh, he, he talked about why a citizen is not a slave. Brett Fountain, uh, pardon me, Brett F. did a workshop on the um, how to uh, grieve a, a bar member, how to do a bar grievance. So that's very cool. We've had uh, how to uh, look at contract law in Canada, how to read a ticket, uh, some of the stand for the guys, how to read laws and legislation. There's a workshop there. So there's uh, Getting Facts on the Record by James the Patriot. Lots of good content over there. If anyone feels called to join me in the private domain where there is the Law Guild and um, also a lot of courses and coaching and chances to deprogram the beast system from your mind so you can think clearly and just simply take action when it's needed. So I think that's all for today. Thank you, everyone in the chat for coming. Thanks, Alphonse, for jumping on with no notice. And uh, I believe that is all for now. Wednesday coming up, I hope I don't get censored for this, but RV Truth or Russian Feds is coming on to talk about the origins of the truth and freedom movement. So I think that's going to be super interesting. And uh, Susie just signed up for Canadian Court Procedure. That's all. That's very good. Alphonse should do a, a show with uh, Stan for the... Yeah, he's been on with Amanda Redding. But uh, because it's American and uh, and Canadian... It's a little bit harder to have uh, that conversation. And you're very welcome. Uh, I'm glad you were here, Ian. 
Luke 10, 19. I like your name, by the way. The only thing the bar has created was corruption. That's very true. Another private association. We're learning to use their methods for good, not for the corruption, but for actually doing good in the world so it can be protected. And uh, yeah, I think I will cap it there for now. Leave it where it is. And Alphonse, God bless you. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Take care, Beth. Thank you. Okay, you're very welcome. All right. Bye, everyone.